When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into the Wednesday Bible study. We are excited uh, that you have taken time uh, to to be with us here today, and uh, we're we're going to be jumping into Genesis chapter eight and continue our uh, continuing our walk through Genesis. But I do want to just the, the very just the beginning of this um, Bible study, and I had a chance to talk about it on the air, and we do have much to pray about. Uh, but I just want to take a moment to uh, talk about uh, Steve Farrar. Um, you know that that was a those of you that don't know, and, and I hope uh, you're going to have that shock that, that I had, Steve Farrar is the dean of men's ministry. Uh, those of you that are not familiar with him, uh, he when he put the, the book Point Man out, I can't tell you the number of men, including um, myself, who read it later, uh, that said that God used that book to change their life. And uh, the things that he did with Promise Keepers and the continued amount and it's out there now thank the lord above that we have the technology to capture his teaching uh i was just shocked uh, charles billingsley you know we did a men's conference together this past weekend so charles and i had been hanging out uh great worship leader he sends me a text out of nowhere um you know on monday and says um have you heard about steve i'm, I'm shocked steve farrar and i was like you know, and honestly, I'm just going to tell you uh, from the years that I've been doing this, um, when you get a text about a man and it says, have you heard about them, it's usually not good news. Uh, and I will tell you something. And my first thought was, please, please, please don't let Steve Farrar fail us here at the end of his life. Uh, and, and then when I heard the news that was still hurtful, but, but at least not bad news, as far as his integrity, that he died. And uh, he, he died of a heart attack on Saturday at the age of 73, which is really, really young for someone who was as in good a shape as, as Steve and the way he carried himself. Steve Farrar was so good to me, uh, one of my mentors, uh, as far as men's ministry, like a father figure to me. Um, and um, and uh, he, uh, his human, you know, I, I said this on the show this week, but some of you may not have heard this, but. I'm just going to be honest with you, and um, and I and, and I don't like to report this, but if you spend enough time going around and doing conferences and speaking at churches and and events, sometimes the worst thing that can happen to you is for you to meet some of your heroes of the faith. Uh, but not with Steve Farrar. Um, you know, there's been t- and I don't and I know people that have become jaded because they've actually spent time with some of the famous hymn writers and speakers and 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 sometimes you know when you're doing with conferences uh, you know people can get some kind of celebrity about them and you know uh, human beings have a hard time with celebrity and accolades and and uh, but not Steve Farrar Steve Farrar never ever compromised his, his integrity uh, he had a humility that was um, a breath of fresh air he was the real deal and he he never like so many have disappointed us and, and disappointed um, their Lord and Savior, not Steve Farrar. He certainly wasn't perfect. None of us are. But 
He never had, you know, remember he wrote the book Finishing Strong. We did that Bible study here. We've done two of his books here, Point Man and Finishing Strong, and there's many others. The book Manna is fantastic, and there's so many. Um, his Bible studies are readily available, and I've, I pass that on to a lot of men even in this room as another resource. So he will, uh, he will be missed by us, uh, but, um, you know, he was our point man. But, um, but I know if he'd had a chance to, to speak with me before he left uh, this earth and, and went into the presence of the Lord and the Savior that he faithfully served, uh, if he could have said one more thing to me, I know what he would have said, and he would have said, get back to work. And I've done my part. I'm finished. Now y'all pick up the baton and, and keep moving. And, uh, and, and may we finish our lives with the spiritual integrity that he finished his, just like he told us to. Uh, and um, so uh, he will be missed. So pray for his, his uh, wife and his children and, and all those that, uh, that are mourning the earthly death but celebrating the spiritual rewards because I'm telling you with zero doubt he stepped in the presence of, of the Lord and Savior that he served, and he heard the term, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. May we follow in his example. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for today, and we do pray that you be with the, the Farrar family and that you be with all of us. I, I was, Frankly, I was a little taken back by how much this bothered me Monday um, because um, uh, I, just, I just miss him. I, I, I miss being able to pick up my phone and call him. Um, I miss going to conferences and us hanging out together and just listening to his wisdom. Uh, but I know he has a wife and he has children and grandchildren that, um, that are mourning, and, and I pray that you be with them. I pray for Benny Rose from our class here as he goes to speak. Speaking of mourning, he'll be speaking at his mother's funeral. And, um, and Benny asks that, uh, Lord, that he not be so emotional that he's able to deliver the message uh, clear, and I pray you give him that strength that only comes from you. Uh, pray for Jim, who's normally with us with the tree-cutting accident that he had. We're thankful that it's okay, and, and he's going to be all right, but he's rattled. And I pray, Lord, that you be with him and be with all of us here, uh, Lord, as we get ready to open up your word. And may you be glorified, and may we be forever changed and sanctified uh, and strengthened. But there's some, Lord, that are here today, however they got here, either in the room or, or watching on YouTube or listening uh, on, the, on the podcast archive that have never been justified. Uh, maybe the day, the day is today, and I pray that you'll speak to their heart. In your name we pray, amen. So just a couple of things to hit before we jump in, and I won't, I won't go a long list. We've had so many things going on with themanchurch.com. I had somebody tell me that they got out of the car, came back in, and I was still talking about events uh, on the Bible study. So, so anyway, let me just hit you with a couple of things, though, you do need to know about. So Sunday night, uh, or actually, let's go Saturday first. Saturday morning, uh, a man church at West Mobile Baptist, uh, Blake Prime from themanchurch.com, will be speaking there. Uh, he and I and our wives teach a, a class together at our local church. Great man of God, and uh, he's one of our new speakers, and you'll you'll really benefit from that. They're doing the men's discipleship strategy, so this is um, this is either second or third man church as they roll through the curriculum. Uh, it's a breakfast this Saturday at West Mobile. 
uh, Baptist, and you're welcome to join them. You can find that at themanchurch.com. Sunday night, Sherry and I, my wife, will be speaking together. It's not a marriage event. I'll be doing a man church with the men of Salem Heights Baptist Church in Laurel, Mississippi, and Sherry will be speaking to the women. We'll be in two different locations, same church. She addresses the women. I'll be addressing the men. If you want to be there for that, you certainly can. Uh, So make plans to be with us. Laurel, Mississippi, you can find that at BurgessMinistries.com or RickandBubba.com under upcoming events. Uh, March 3rd, Jonesboro, Arkansas. I'll be speaking at the Beast Feast there at Central Baptist Church. They've been doing this for years. It's a huge uh, kind of wild game, outdoor gathering for men. Uh, my first time to be there. We've been trying to do this uh, for now a, a third spring uh, because of the pandemic, but thankfully, Lord willing, uh, I'll be there coming up uh, this next Thursday. Uh, and then uh, looking to head some other things that are going on, we have in the room with us today a couple men from Rootville Baptist Church. They're doing their annual Low Country Boil. You see, I'm kind of Drawn to if you've got food, your your odds of booking me are much higher. Uh, and uh, I, we've been trying to do this for three springs, um, and they've been so kind to work with my schedule. And we've all tried to maneuver around the pandemic, but it looks like Lord willing, we'll finally have that on March the twenty fifth in Rootville, Georgia. And, and if you would like to join us at Rootville Baptist, it's about fifty miles from Atlanta. We'd love for you to be part of that, too. Those details can be found at rickandbubba.com under upcoming events. Sherry and I will do a marriage conference on April 2nd at uh, Highland Baptist Church in Panama City, Florida. Uh, We'll both be there. It'll be a one-day conference on April the 2nd, and you and your wives or ladies that are watching this, you and your husbands, are welcome to join us there for that. They'll have a dinner for you, and Sherry and I both will be speaking together on what God has deemed as holy and that, of course, is marriage. So so put those down. You can either go to themanchurch.com if you just want to see what the men's ministry is doing. If you want to see what Sherry and I are doing, either separately or together, then burgessministries.com. So let's jump in. Let's go to Genesis chapter 8. Genesis chapter 8. So we know what's happened now. If you weren't with us uh, last week, you can always go back and pick up those archives. Uh, we know that uh, that it was not good. Uh, that uh, that the, the flood now has come, and we went through what all Scripture says, that it was not just coming down on something called rain, which they'd never seen before. It was also coming up through the crust of the earth. Uh, these aquifers, the underground water was boiling as well. Uh, and we know that everything uh, that, uh, that has breath uh, was, was destroyed except for Noah, uh, his family, and the animals that are on the ark. So that every, everybody's out. And now we're going to get into the process in eight of how long are we floating out here? How long till this thing comes to rest? Uh, And Moses tells us in chapter eight, and I love this, and I've got this underlined, and I think you should underline this as well. It's been total devastation, okay? Total devastation, devastation. And we start with, with chapter eight, but God. You know, anytime you see but God in Scripture, it's a good thing, okay? But God. But God remembered Noah. Uh, and remember remember this, uh, what, what his name means. Remember when he was named by his daddy, the good Lamech, not the bad one. Uh, you know, his great-grandfather, we know, uh, Enoch, uh, or as my wife says, Enoch. Um, and um, we had that debate again last night. But anyway, so... So we know that uh, that Noah's name meant meant to give rest. That that Lamech was saying, "May he provide rest for for the people." Uh, and and of course, it says, "But God remembered Noah and all the beast and all the livestock that were in the ark." So we know that uh, he uh, he God's mighty hand ha- has been in control, 
And this is the thing on the day that we're remembering Steve Farrar. One of the things that Steve Farrar taught me, and he always preached, nothing is out of control. It is under God's control. So even all this calamity that's been going on, God's hand has been in it exactly. God didn't go off and say, and by the way, I'm headed on a sabbatical and good luck to everybody. He has been, his hand has been on this the whole time. Uh, and it was interesting as I, I, because when I got the news, I was finishing this message about Steve Farrar going to stand in the presence of his Lord and Savior. And I was, I was, I was just about to talk about that Steve Farrar always said it's not out of control. Even this, all this stuff we've been going through, pandemic, this, all this stuff, the things were not out of control. They were under his control. And you better rest at night knowing that. Now, let me tell you this. If you have not been justified and you have not been reconciled back to the one and only living God, now you got problems. Okay, but, but now if you've been reconciled back to God, you sleep with peace. I met a guy this past weekend at the Pursuit Conference, and by the way, praise God for what we saw there. Thank you all for your prayers. Um, we saw over 1,000 men come out. Uh, we saw um, right around somewhere between uh, maybe a little less or a little more than 100 men that made decisions for Christ. We saw all kinds of things happening with the things that were going on. And I was walking out talking to three men that we were kind of counseling with, and we were talking about how we, and I was guilty of this as anybody, you know, and you see all these people that have been destroyed because of this. I just, I just for a long period of time, remember, I was never agnostic. I was never an atheist. I was taught the gospel. I believed all the things that demons believed. I didn't doubt any of it. I just didn't. I just not I just I just did not apply it to my life. I was under my own authority. I was not under God's authority. And though repentance was a was 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 the step to get right with God, I wasn't willing to repent of sin because I still love sin more than I loved him. Because I didn't know him well enough to know he was better than sin. So what it was is I was hoping I'd done enough not to go to hell, but I certainly wasn't going to repent and turn away from my sin and go over to him because I didn't think he was better. And I told the guys about that. I said, but the thing I remember about when I walked in my life of sin, no matter how, uh, I don't know if you've watched our podcast this week, Rick and Bubba University, Kevin Derryberry talks about this in his testimony. He said, you know, sin can be fun for a period of time, just just for a period of time. And he said, and, and but there, then you realize you can't believe what it's done to you. Like when he's sitting there looking at a doctor who just told him, your liver is so destroyed by all the alcohol, you're going to be dead in six months. Suddenly, sin, not it's giving death. See, but God's really wanting to give life. You know, sin always leads to death. So I, I was talking to these guys, and this is what I'm talking about about God being in control. I said, "Can I tell you the the biggest thing I noticed after my redemption? One of the things I noticed immediately. I said, all my problems were not solved overnight. They really weren't. But even when I was living in sin, I rarely ever went to bed at peace." Always worrying, am I going to jail? Am I going to get fired? Uh, is 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 a is, is somebody coming after me? Uh, hey, did, did, did I mean I my whole life was looking over my shoulder because of the way I lived. I don't know why I thought that was better, but anyway. So I said, but when I was redeemed, and I'm gonna tell you this even now through even the difficult things that I've been through, and we all got stuff. I said because of God, I sleep at peace. 
I have a I have a an unexplainable peace which Jesus said I should have John sixteen thirty three I say this so that you have peace in this world you will face tribulation but if you belong to me you have joy in your heart because I've overcome the world that, that hey if that didn't if that didn't help you you know you know what he says Rick this is bad but no matter how, no no matter how bad it is I've redeemed you go to sleep you're redeemed that was your biggest problem. And so once again, you see <clears throat> that if God is, is, is in control of your life, it, it may not be perfect because you're still living in a, in a fallen fleshly body and you're still living in a fallen creation, but you'll always have a supernatural peace that only he provides. Everybody say yes to that. So, but God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were on the ark, and God made a wind blow. Who made the wind blow? Right. Who's in charge? He's in charge. So God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. So what we know now uh, is that chapter 7 had shown us devastation, devastation, devastation. Chapter 8, and by the way, these numbers were not the way this was written. That's something we did to organize the Scriptures. But it really is odd that the number 8, the number of new beginnings, is now the part of the Bible that talks about the flood is going to subside now. That is weird since it wasn't in there to begin with, but it's almost like God's in that too. But anyway, so we're now reversing as the flood was getting worse. In chapter 8, it now ebbs, okay? And the ark is, is, is now riding. Picture this now. Everybody ready for this? Look at this. This is beautiful. So we've got all this devastation, okay, in 7, and now it's at its peak as we get into 8. It's peaked, and God's about to start dropping it down. All the devastation is below the water, death, destruction, and what's floating above all the desolation? The ark. Floating above all the desolation, and everybody in that ark is protected from the desolation. You see, you see, the, you see the gospel here? You see the gospel? So, and, and so even though we, we may live uh, in a, a fallen creation, if we belong to Jesus, we're floating above it. Because we belong to him. Man, we're going we don't get through this without running around here a little bit. So so anyway, if I was my pastor, I would just say y'all just sit there. But anyway, um, so so the flood destroyed all who turned away from God, but as the ark was the first sign of God's care for Noah, but now God is is stopping the advancement of the flood to show his care for Noah again. He didn't just put him in the ark and protect him from what's going on, he's now going to say, I'm also going to remove this from you so you'll be the beginning uh, of this starting over again. So you see once again what? We see clearly God is saying that man is the head of creation, mankind, human beings. Okay, that's men and women. He said that in the beginning, and now the headship of men and women, mankind, humans, has been reserved for the new beginning of life on earth, and God makes a wind blow which is what? I'm, I'm ready for all this to get cleaned up now. I'm, I'm going to remove the water. So now I know this is going to be tough for some of you, and this is a tough part, and it's, it's one of the things that my wife took on in, in her book um, about where is God in all this calamity. And, of course, Scripture says what? We see it again here. He's right in the middle of it. So some of us don't like to think that things like the flood – and, and, and the length of the flood, that God's in charge of all this, 
somehow it's like that's one part of of, we, of something we don't like. But I've got really some news you're going to have to buck up and deal with, okay? If you don't believe that God allows things, then you have to believe he has no power to stop them. Right? And I've seen people do that before. Well, God, God's just, he is, he's everything. Well, now, except this, somehow that got by him. He couldn't do anything about that. No, I mean, and, and, he, and, and there, he hears our prayers, and like I say, whatever he does is right, because what did Jesus tell us to pray? Your will be done. Well, you know what his will might be? That you have to deal with the flood, that, that you have to deal with, with calamity. You have, to, you have to be in the middle of it, even though he's protecting you. But you say, well, what do you mean protect me? Well, that, that doesn't mean that your earthly body's not going to be killed. We saw that in the New Testament church, right? I mean, the original 12, they got them all, except John. They tried to get him. What, how frustrating that was. This thing with John, I mean, he, he, they just got, you know what God said? I'm not ready for you to kill him, so you can't kill him until I let you. We're going to boil him all. Okay, not today, because today's not today. I need him out on that island, and I need to show him the revelation. So when God said that John was going to be on, on Patmos and he was going to see the revelation, guess what? That's what was going to happen. Couldn't anybody get in the way of it. I mean, you really, go, if you go read some of the martyrs' histories, some of the things that were documented by the writers, Josephus, and the people of those days, they tried to kill John many times and just couldn't do it. And one time they had him in the oil. They were boiling him, and it just wouldn't kill him. And finally, finally it was so frustrating for the Romans that they got him out of the oil because everybody was laughing at the fact they couldn't kill him. They just said, well, look, let's stop this. We look like a bunch of idiots. And then they threw him off and just said, we'll just kick him off to some island somewhere. And God said, well, that's where he was going all along. Yeah, you were never in charge of this. What did Jesus say to Pilate when he says, don't you realize I have the authority on whether you're going to live or die? What did Jesus say? Well, that's a mistake. I don't know where you got that idea. <laughs> what did he say? He said, no one takes my life from me. I will lay it down of my own accord, and I will raise it up again. The only authority you have over me is being allowed for this moment by my Father in heaven, but I am in charge. You are not in charge. And, and we got to remember that. So, um, and sometimes I, you, we get to the point where I'm like, oh my goodness, what's happening? And then I'm like, what am I doing? So, anyway, so now God uh, brought the wind out. Now, look at verses two and three. Verses two and three says, The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heaven were closed. The rain from the heavens was res- restrained. Who's doing all this? Who's closing things and restraining things? God. So, he's also, wasn't he the one that opened it up to? So, he allowed the water to come and then he told it when to stop, right? What does this sound like? Okay, that's good. But what else? Job. Anybody remember Job? What about when Job got God's resume? What's one of the things God had on his resume? You tell the water what to do? I do. So when, when you tell the water, that's as far as you can go. Does it, does it do what you tell it to do? Don't you, and I loved it in that when Job finally goes, I got it. I really, you don't have to do the rest of it. And God's like, no, I'm going to finish this whole thing. Just sit down. You know, let me finish. Come up here. Hey, hey, stand up here and show yourself a man. Let me talk to you. Because I understand you, you're kind of upset with me now. So won't you? I'm on. Fi- I'm gonna ask you if you think you should be talking to me the way you talk to me. And you know, then Job says, "What? Well, I got it." Uh, but anyway, but one of the things what that God told us he, he could do is what? Tell the water what to do. Do you remember back when he was floating over the deep in the beginning, Genesis one, right? And the and the water hadn't been told what to do yet. And then what did he do? He told exactly what to do. So here he is telling it what to do again. 
so, and this is what now going to be the, the the new start with this new bunch of, of human beings. So, see, all this is really, really cool. Uh, so, so we see the reversal taking place. Uh, the source of the flood has now stopped. And then listen to what happens next. And the waters receded, and the earth continually, I mean receded from the earth continually, so this is a process. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. You ever wonder why 150 days? Could, I mean, he could have done it one day if he wanted to, right? See, God does these things, and we, but for him, you know, we said, I'm going I'm to do this about 150 days. And there's always a reason for it. We may not completely understand it, but, you know, God could have, uh, like I said, I heard my pastor say when some people have a hard time with creation, of being six days, and then our pastor said, "Well, it's God. I'm. I don't know why it took him six. I mean, he could have done it one. You know, I mean, we're not we're not talking about God going. I just don't know if I can get this done. I'm gonna need six days for this. Uh, so, but everything he's doing, he's doing for a reason. Uh, and um, so, so it's 150 days, and 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 in the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Arat. All right, so Arat, so. Think about everything that's going on here, okay? So we know the water's coming back. It, it takes some time to do this. It's becoming so shallow now the ark can no longer float above the mountains, okay? So now we're starting to hit the mountains a little bit. Uh, and in four, it's come to rest on the mountains of Ararat. This is believed, and again, there's debate about this, that if you go to Armenia now, those mountains is what, what, where this is talking about, okay? Um, now keep in mind, the ark came to what? Came to rest, What's Noah's name mean? Rest. Okay. So it comes to rest on the mountain. Now, what's kind of cool, have you ever been to Sedona and done the Red Rock tour? Y'all been out there? Everybody done that in Arizona? So in 2010, my son was on the football team, Auburn football team that played out there. So we we went out and, and we got to do this. Well, when you go out there on those Red Rocks, you see all this stuff with red, but there's a line across all those rocks and all those mountains, and we're sitting there with the guide, and she says, well, this, this right here tells us that all this was at one time underwater. Oh, yeah. And she says, which means, because here comes the devil, it is very likely that we evolved from aquatic animals. <laughs> and, uh, and, of course, I'm in the Jeep, and I say, or it could be a sign of a worldwide flood from the Scriptures. And, uh, and, and, of course, everybody, you know, in the Jeep looks over, and she just looks at me like if she could have knifed me, she would have knifed me right there. And I said, I'm not saying you have to land on that, but if you're going to talk about all the things this could represent, that's got to be one of them, right? I mean, but we believe well, – I didn't ask what you believe. If you're going to present all the things this could be, we could also say that Scripture tells us all this was underwater, and it tells us that we find – all kinds of aquatic fossils on top of mountains, which is kind of odd. Uh, and I mean, I've, I've been I've been to a cave. My goodness, here in Alabama, and, and, and the caves up on the mountain. Guess what's in the cave? Shark teeth. What in the world are sharks doing up in on the mountain? Okay, and so so the we could we could talk. Right, you don't even have to say you believe it, but I don't. Know, but you know why she's not going to say it? Because the world hates God, and and not for a minute are we going to have. Somewhere in, in Arizona, somebody out there worshiping the earth, telling which is what they're, they're really weird about the earth, uh, telling us that this shows us the worldwide flood from the Bible. You're not going to hear that. But how many of you think that, you know, that, that it's probably the worldwide flood in the Bible? I, I think that's probably what we're seeing here. It's not like God didn't leave any evidence of it. So, uh, so anyway, 
so we now have the ark coming to a rest, and and um, and and this is something that that some of the theologians and commentaries I was reading about some of this. You know, Noah's now getting to the point where he's waiting for the time to leave the ark, and it goes back to what I said a minute ago. God doesn't just take the water away immediately. It, he lets it kind of naturally fade. Why do you think that is? I mean, we already said he doesn't have to. Um, what, what, what you have to kind of say, because this doesn't have to be any kind of debate at all, he, th- he thought that Noah and his family need to sit in there a little while to get ready for what was next. They've been through a lot. You know, and it could just be that he's perfect, and he said, I'm telling you, you'll need this kind of time. I don't need to rush them out of there too quick. I mean, think about what it must be like to have been in that ark and to think to yourself, everybody I ever knew other than these other seven people, they're all dead. You probably need some time to adjust to that. And and so God, once again, in his mercy, which I think is what it is, and his grace allows this to be kind of a gradual process for the return. So now let's look at um, uh, at 5 uh, through, uh, through 14. And the waters continued to abate until the 10th month, and in the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. And at the end of, of 40 days... What do we say about 40? That's the time of what? Refinement, you know, probation. At the end of 40 days, Noah opened up the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven and went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Eight, then he sent uh, uh, sent forth a dove from, uh, from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. Verse 9, but the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to him, returned to him, to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. Ten, he waited another seven days and again sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So no one knew the waters had subsided from the earth, verse 12, then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him any more. In the six hundred year, six hundred and first year, in the first month, in the first day of the month, the waters were dried from all of the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. 14. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. A lot of details there from Moses. So Noah gets active in verse 6. I, I got to look out the window. Apparently, uh, he opens a window uh, and, and sent out a raven. Now, something about the raven, unlike the dove, the, the raven can't find anywhere to land, but the raven won't come back. Uh, it just gets out there and flies around on top of the water, doesn't really come back and give uh, Noah um, any, any, any feedback. Uh, he went back and forth until the water dried up enough and and uh, somewhere to land, but did not return to Noah. But on verse eight, he sends out a dove, uh, and now you see great detail in this with this dove that he sends out. Great detail to see if the water had subsided, but but uh, but nowhere to land. She comes back, but look at the detail here in verse nine, and and you wonder why this is given to us in such great detail. 
it tells us that Noah reaches and takes her in his hands and brings her into the boat. I mean, so all of a sudden God tells Moses, I want that to tell in there. I mean, weren't you already kind of assuming, I don't know how the, the dove's getting in and out of there, but you can literally see now, can't you, in your mind, can't you see that? Him taking the dove in his hand and bringing it back into the, to the boat. And we know that, we know that the, the dove represents what? The Holy Spirit. Right? So, so Noah reaches out and takes this dove. We've got a family, by the way, guys, that have got to start all over and be loyal to God and takes that dove and brings it back with his hand into the boat with he and his family. And here's the question that hit me as a, as a man, and I know, I know on this there's women watching too, so, so you can certainly look at this too, as a wife and a mother, or if you're aspiring to be a wife and a mother, or you're a young male and you're aspiring to be a husband, and, and a father one day, is what our families refer to us this way. My husband and our daddy brings the Holy Spirit into our house. Or, or, would, they, or would they look and say, yeah, my daddy and my husband might say one thing, but I got news for you. In this house, he don't ever bring the Holy Spirit in here. He brings calamity he brings um obstacles uh, we all walk on eggshells around him because we don't know what kind of day this is going to be for him or would they say oh yeah he brings the holy spirit into our house every day he reaches out with his hand and he belongs to christ and he makes sure that our house is full of the spirit of god something to think about so we see that um um, that Noah keeps waiting seven days after he sent. Um, and and what, what this is saying may be happening here, it says another seven days. So it may be when the raven went out, he waited seven days. You know, the raven kept coming, going back and forth, can't get settled. And then he waits another seven days before he sends out the dove. And then he, he, then he stays another seven days, and he sent the same dove again. And in verse 11, and this time it comes back with an olive leaf. Now that's big. Now you say, Rick, that's big because now it looks like things are drying up. Yeah, but it's big, but there's more big. Uh, everything. Remember, remember this: there's nothing in the Bible that's not important. It's all important. God never rambles on. You know, we've been around those people where you hear them give a, a message and you thought, well, about twenty percent of that was beneficial. The the eighty, I don't even. You're all over the road. And uh, but uh, but 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 God doesn't waste words. He never says anything. You go, well, that's kind of insignificant. Let's keep moving. Now, so these are this. This is the beginning of his people. Noah's part of his people. This is Israel, uh, and and the olive is big. Olive trees represented life returning to normal, because one of the things that that he's now seeing everything you need is there, and of course we know that the olive tree and the olive was crucial to Israel. That, that there was a lot of symbolism with that. You remember at the time that you know you you would you would hear Jesus speaking about this, and uh, so for that dove to come back with anything is good, but to come back with an olive branch, something off an olive tree, is the sign that I'm getting it ready for you. It's getting time to get off this ark because you're going to have everything you need. And uh, this was him once again 
showing Noah something that he would recognize. Uh, that's in verse 12. So 13, 14, so remove the covering. First time we realized a covering uh, that could be removed was on the ark. We knew that there was some kind of thing that you could let light in. Remember, we talked about that. But apparently there was a covering that you could remove. And Noah sees for the first time that the ground was dry. But he waited a few more weeks before he was ready uh, because uh, to get off. Why do you think that is? He's still unsure, isn't he? Right? You ever had that happen? Maybe my footing's not real good. If you're outdoors, people, you know what I'm talking about. You ever kind of like got, got up on a swamp? And you're like, I think I can get through that. You're kind of easing. He, he doesn't know the state of the earth. He, he's seeing that's happening, and I think what he's trying to do is we got one time to get off this thing, and if we get off and it's not ready for us and we all get killed or something bad goes on, I want to be sure we can get off this thing and it be right. Hey, look, you ever done that? Let's give it a little bit longer. Let's give it a little bit longer. So uh, so anyway, he waits a few more uh, uh, weeks, and then we see uh, in, uh, in verse 15 through 19, it's time for it to be vacated. This is big. So we go to verse 15. Let's look. Then God said to Noah, go out from the ark. Now, I think this is important too. Did you see this? I missed it the first time through. Noah's not getting off that ark until God tells him to. That's one of the reasons why, okay, it's dry, Dad. We we going? No, not yet. Hey, looks good out there. Olive came back. I think we're good. Now, let's just hold up. He's waiting on God to tell him to get off the boat. Why? Because he always it says throughout this that Noah did exactly what God commanded him to do. He hasn't got a command from God to get off the ark, so he's not getting off. Is that us? Raise your hand wherever you are and raise your hand in this room. You've ever done something without waiting on God to tell you to do it. How'd that go? Not well. So uh, Noah is our example. He ain't coming off that ark until God tells him to. Uh, now, I don't know that I could have waited that long. I've been on this ark a long time. I've been on here with animals. I've been on here with my wife. I love my wife, but that's that's a lot of time on that. That's pretty big, so there's probably some time to, for her to get a break from me because I don't need a break from her, but she probably needs a break from me. Um. But hey, we all been on here a while. You ever you ever gone on a vacation with your family you thought was gonna go well and like a like it rained a lot and you got you got stuck in that house and y'all thought y'all was gonna be doing all kinds of stuff, didn't get to the theme park, didn't get down to the beach, and uh, we just in this house. You you know, you can only play games for so long. And everybody starts needing needing a little distance. But um so it would have been easy for him to say, Well, man, I got off where God told me to because I just can't be on here another minute. See, that would be me being under my authority. I can't stay on this thing another minute. I got to get off this thing. And, um, but that's not what he did. He waited for God to tell him to get off. 15. Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So what did Noah say? I don't think I understand your instructions. Now, how you want me to do this? Look at 18. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his son's wife with him. 19, every beast, every creeping thing, every bird, uh, every everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. So that's 15 through 19. So let's let's take a look at uh, at Noah. God's order and his control over the entire operation. God delivers those who are under his protection. 
Okay. Now, now if you got your you got your Bible real quick, turn over to this. Let's go to the New Testament. First uh, Thessalonians five nine. If you if you can just hold hold where we are, and try to get over to First Thessalonians, because remember what has been handed down to everybody but Noah, his wife, and his family. What's hap- what, what what is happening on the earth? God's wrath. Amen. God's wrath. But for Noah and his family, no wrath. Everybody with me? Now look look what Paul says to the church at Thessalonica. After he's 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 given them some compliments that they're doing pretty good and look what he reminds them of for all of us that have been redeemed. Okay, I, I, I want you to look at this in, in chapter 5. Then I want you to look at, uh, at verse, uh, verse 9. And I'm going to start in 7. Um, or in 8, I'm sorry. Talking about, he's talking about sin and people getting drunk and people doing this. And look at 8, he says, But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put the breastplate, breastplate of faith and love and for the helmet, the hope of salvation, and here it is, verse 9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, that, that's where I take a little bit of issue. Not, but, but I'm not going to die on this hill because uh, ultimately I'm, we're gonna, I know I'm redeemed and however it plays out, it plays out. But that's where I have a problem with those of us that say the church is going to go through the tribulation. Doesn't look like it. Uh, because uh, because here's Paul telling the church at Thessalonica the redeemed will never won't, won't take the wrath of God, and uh, and guess what happens to uh, to Noah and his family? They have been protected from the wrath of God, as as will his church, and as as the redeemed will be as well. So now God rolls out the new representatives of humans and animals for for the new beginning, and that's what we see here. And what do we see? Noah is doing it exactly the way that God told him to do it. He has put everybody on the ark exactly like he was told. He is now taking everybody off the ark exactly like he was told. Now, we know it's a biggie and that God's a God of order, and he really does not like us making up our own versions of obedience to his instructions. How do we know that? Moses, who's writing this. You think Moses doesn't know that? What about when Moses comes back to God after striking the rock and not speaking to it, and he asks him, asks him one more time, hey, did, let me go on into the promised land. And you know what God said? Don't bring this up again. Just, just like a parent. Moses, you're going up on the mountain, and you're going to die, and you're going to go, and you're going, you're going to be in my presence just like your brother Aaron. Okay, you, and, But I love, it even says in Scripture, don't bring this up to me again. Now I'm giving you the Calhoun County interpretation. That's really what he's saying is stop asking me about this. You did a good job, but it, you, you tried to rise up one time and you lost your, your cool and you didn't do it the way I told you to do it and you're not going in the promised land. I'm going to forgive you, but there's going to be earthly repercussions for that and I don't think you can do what needs to be done in Canaan, so that's going to be Joshua and Caleb, mainly Joshua. And oh, by the way, change his name from Hoshea to, jo- to Joshua, which is the same Hebrew word that we use for Jesus, Yeshua, because you're going to bring salvation to my people. You'll take them to the promised land. Moses isn't getting, is not going to. Moses, you've done that. You've done your job. You're coming to me, but guess what? 
you're not going in. Not you, that's the earthly part you're not going to get, but it, for eternity, you're good. But you know what we try to do a lot of times? I'm going to kind of do what you told me to do. Kind of my own version of it. And see, when we start creating our own version of God's commandments and creating our own version of Jesus, that's when we get in a lot of trouble. You better be following the God of the Bible, and you better be under the authority of the Lord and Savior of the Bible, and you better not be making up making God something that you're more comfortable with because his job is to make us something he's more comfortable with. And when he says this is when he says this is my standard for whatever, then it is. And you don't go back and go, well, I kind of understood what you want to, but I want to kind of have my own version of it. You don't see that. And you know why Noah doesn't get wiped out with everybody else? Because he's the kind of guy that does what God says to do. You see this over and over in Scripture. He did all that God commanded him, not some of it, not most of it, not a version of it. He did all of it. Rick, are you talking about earning salvation? No, I'm telling you that Noah had a, had a saving faith. Just I know we're saved by grace through faith. Praise God for that. Ephesians 2, praise God for that. But that faith is a faith of action. Noah did not have a saving faith because he believed that God told him to do these things. His saving faith was he did them. He didn't believe him just and say, I believe you want me to build this. I believe you want me to do it this way. I I believe all that. I'm just not going to do it. No, the saving faith was he didn't just believe it. He did it, and that proved that he believed it. So, you know, we, we, we can't lose sight of that because then we kind of veer into the warning of Romans 6 and we kind of become grace abusers. So be real careful for that. All right, so now we get into the new beginning, the new start, verses 20 through 22, and then we'll close. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings, underline burnt offerings, on the altar, 21, And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse. I'm using the English standard uh, version of this. There's also uh, some of yours may say dishonor uh, on on the Hebrew word here. He said, um, and I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. That's interesting. So that hasn't changed? It hasn't changed because we... We haven't gotten to the new heaven and the new earth yet. Uh, Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done, 22. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter day and night shall not cease. All right, so let's look at some of the things interesting here. First of all, Noah builds the first altar ever mentioned in Scripture. We go back and look at Cain and Abel. We don't really see an altar. There's no mention of an altar. They're bringing sacrifices, no doubt, because we've had the fall of man, but they don't. there's no, no talk of an altar. So this is the first time in Scripture we see anyone building an altar, uh, and it's a good indicator right out of the gate why some of the animals are deemed clean and unclean, right? Um, and um, so we also see what? It's a burnt offering. It's interesting. We don't see this back with Cain and Abel. It's a burnt offering. So Noah was giving an offering that was holy for God. But if you look at Leviticus, write this down, Leviticus 1.4, we do see in, in the book of Leviticus, which is laying out you know, everything to do with the, the sacrificial 
system that a burnt offering is acceptable for sacrifice. We do see that in Leviticus. Uh, and, and this is what Leviticus said. It shall be accepted, and it shall be accepted for God to make for man atonement. So God, because I, I, I really tried to look into the, because I love to grill, he smelled the pleasing aroma. God did. Now, see, this is where these people that say that we're going to return back to the garden and we're not going to be eating, eat anymore, eating meat anymore on the great feast at the end, the new heaven and the new earth, earth and we're in the presence of the Lord. Here's God saying he likes the smell of meat being cooked. So I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I mean, I don't know how he's going to get the meat because I don't think we're going to be slaughtering animals anymore, but I think we still get it. I mean, I mean, I mean, but I mean, we're not going to be disappointed. It's going to be an incredible meal, but I, I'm, and we're going to be eating because it's fun, not because we need to, which I kind of look forward to that. But um, <laughs> by the way, by because I've been doing that a lot of my life and it's caused issues, but, but the, um, the, but listen to this. Have you ever thought about this? And I, I can't remember who I heard this first time. Was it, was it Piper? I can't remember who said this. Uh, but it was a great message that we are currently eating eating fallen food with fallen taste buds. Think about that a minute, Brooks. Okay, so the best meal you've ever had is nothing because your taste buds are fallen and the food you're eating is fallen. It's not the way it's supposed to be. It's like the time I was looking at the Continental Divide, and y'all have heard me talk about this before. Bubba and I were there together. And he looked at the we were, we were just aghast at the beauty of the Continental Divide. And Bubba said, think about it. This is his throwaway. This is fallen. The earth fell too. Can you imagine what he really can do? So I want you to think about being served a meal that is redeemed and perfect the way God makes it, and then you eating it with the taste that is unfallen, that has been redeemed. Only a big foodie could come up with that to look forward to in heaven, but it's here. Uh, he says that, uh, that, that, the, that this, but really the smell was pleasing to God. And, and what you really want to take away from this, all kidding aside, first of all, I mean, it, it says what it says, but it, it's accepted. This is telling Noah, and this is beautiful. I mean, this is the, this is the beginning and the end. Do you realize that the beginning and the end allows us to converse with him? And he says, I want to hear your prayer. I want to talk to you. What he's saying to Noah is acknowledged. You didn't get out here and do all this and wonder if I'm aloof. Do I even care about this? He's letting Noah know that, oh, this sacrifice doesn't go unnoticed by me. It's pleasing to me. I'm pleased with the aroma of this burnt offering and the atonement for your sins. Because remember, Noah is considered to be blameless in his generation, but he's not blameless before God. He still has to do sacrifices to atone for his sin. Uh, and, and of course, all this is looking toward what? Listen to this. Noah gets off this ark as the, he and his family, the only human beings that are left after God's destruction of everybody but them. And he has taken the flood away, and he's starting again. So this altar and this burnt offering was accepted not only for Noah, but for the world. I will start this again. 
God makes it clear also what? Because he says what? That the, um, the heart of mankind is still evil. You know what else God has said and something we need to know? He's also making it clear I haven't lowered my standard. What does that mean? Man, we're still going to need something else. I'm still going to finally resolve this for good, and I haven't done that yet. But I haven't lowered my standard. You still need to be redeemed, and redemption is coming. Does that fire anybody up? This type of curse will not happen again, (laughs) but it doesn't mean that something's not going to happen. He's working a plan of redemption. We see what? Because we know that 2 Peter, remember we talked about that last week. 2 Peter tells us in 3.6 he's going to burn it. Okay, so so there is going to be a final judgment. There is going to be the end of this, this earth. He's not going to do it by water again is all he says. I won't do it this way again. Not I'm not going to do it again. I'm not going to do it this way again. He's making it very clear about that. And... Um, so, so God's wrath and destruction is going to come, but what? But redemption, in this case, the ark, in our case, Jesus, is going to be available. See, this time, God said, I'm putting eight people in the ark, and I'm killing everybody else. When the, when the final wrath comes of God, you know what he says? Anybody can be on the ark. Offer redemption to all who will accept it. Yes, my wrath is going to come again, but just like Paul said in Thessalonica, it won't come on those that are redeemed. The ultimate ark, Jesus. And there's that question again for all of you out there. Are you on the ark? Because the water flood may not be coming, but the fire is. And we can see the order of creation has been reestablished and the flood has been hushed. Why? God says, let's start the days and the seasons back up again. And let's keep doing that till I tell you something else. The seasons return. And I love this from one of the commentaries, the rhythm of his creation, though fallen, begins again. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for our time today. Thank you for, uh, for what we are learning from your word. You are just, we can't truly comprehend you. And for you to be so good and kind to us, because the wrath we bring on ourselves, the redemption is something only you could provide. We couldn't do that for ourselves. We're pretty good at bringing destruction, but we have no ability to bring redemption. So you gave it to us. And, Lord, there's, there's people listening right now. There's people watching right now. There may be men in this room right now that still aren't on the ark. That, that you, You've provided redemption, but they, don't, they haven't taken it. You've made it pretty clear. All we have to do to, to get on the ultimate ark, and that means to be under the protection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, is to repent of our sins, to say, I turn from this fallen world, I turn from my fallen flesh, and I turn to you, Jesus, and I I believe in my heart. Nobody can do that for you. I don't know the sincerity of your heart. God does. And you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. I leave my own authority. I come under his authority. I, I, I come into the ark. 
I want I want to be inside redemption. I don't want to be outside of that. I want to be under the protection of Jesus. I want to be reconciled back to you, Father, because you are holy and I am not. But Jesus makes me fully righteous, and today I want to be made fully righteous. So when your wrath comes or my earthly death comes, I will be in your presence. I will not be with those that receive your wrath. I'll be with those who receive your grace and your mercy. And I believe that you gave it to me through your son, Jesus. I believe you. he, he died for me on the cross, and I believe you raised him from the dead on the third day. And I know that you love me, but I need you to teach me to love you through sanctification, but i got to be justified before I can be sanctified. So today I just submit and repent. Scripture tells us if you're sincere about that, he hears you. He does. He hears you. And just like uh, he saved me, and if he can save me and change me, saving you and changing you won't be a big deal at all. My debt was large, and he paid it. And he changed me, and he's still changing me. And he will you too. If you need help with that and you made a decision today or this is the day that you got it and said, I made a move on that, if you want to reach out to me, you don't have to, but please go tell your pastor or or go to the local church or go to a friend, tell somebody. If I can help you, just rick at uh, rickandbubba.com or rick at burgessministries.com. I'll look at both emails every day. Be happy to help you. Thank you, Lord, for the message, and thank you for the lives that you continue to change, including mine. And be with those who are hurting. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks a lot for your time today. Hope you'll join us again next week.